down to earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow, today, to shape a better world for all. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. But today, my guest Daniel Murray has gone far beyond the everyday by integrating environmental issues into his work as a reporter for the Business Post. And he joins us now here on Down to Earth. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me on, Cara. Thanks for coming. Daniel, you caught my attention two years ago when you joined the Business Post as a reporter and suddenly some excellent investigative journalism on environmental issues was coming out of the paper, which was kind of surprising for a business publication. So what inspired you to anchor climate and environmental issues into your reporting for the Business Post? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't have, I'm kind of came to it in a strange way. I don't have any scientific background. Uh, I didn't even take a science subject for my leaving cert. Um, and it really, it took me a number of years to even recognize that that environment was an important thing to be uh, looking at and reporting on. I started off in media a number of years ago, working on the Tonight with Vincent Brown show. And to my shame, we barely ever looked at environmental issues when we were on the program. And that was for a few reasons, but mostly because we were dictated by the political issues of the day and it just was not the big burning domestic political issue at the time. I eventually went and spent two years working in public relations and during that time I worked with a lot of clean energy companies and it took those two years for me to get myself educated on climate and environmental issues. And then I was lucky enough two years ago to be brought into the Business Post by Susan Mitchell, who used to be our um, editor there with the Post. Um, and she asked me at the time, what was the area that I wanted to report on? And I had a look around and there wasn't very many people reporting on energy and environment issues from a business perspective. And as far as I could see, it was the big business story of the day. You know, it, it has so many repercussions for businesses from new emerging markets to the regulatory environment that they're going to be operating in to the natural world that they're going to have it like the, the rest of us. And so that's why I, I decided decided to start reporting on it in, in that way. That's a really steep learning curve in two years to go from having no science background to, to reporting on these quite complicated energy issues. What's your sense of environmental coverage here generally? I think it's good, um, you know, and it's better like we don't have what goes on in some other countries like in the UK and maybe in Australia where there's a huge amount of climate scepticism still in the media. Um, so we're lucky that we don't have that going on. Uh, the Irish Times and the Irish Independent have dedicated correspondents that look at it a, a, as an area uh, and that makes their coverage very good. Um, but it's also very reactive, you know, uh, daily newspapers tend not to have the time to dig down into issues um, and they tend to be reacting to whatever um, is happening happening on a given day, whether that be a business results being published published by a company that happens to be working in the energy or, or environment space, or whether it be political announcements like uh, Ireland announcing that we were going into a climate emergency in 2019. And the good thing about working in a in a Sunday paper for me is that I get the time to to really start um, thinking from the perspective of what's important, digging down into issues. And I normally have at least a week, if not a few weeks, to, 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 to put pieces together. What do you think the media maybe should be doing more generally here to address these big global crises like climate change? I think that, you know, by investing in reporters who are dedicated to this coverage, it's something that makes a big difference. It takes a lot of time to educate yourself on climate and environmental and energy issues. And that's the other thing to remember is that it's not only climate and environment, these are energy issues as well. And energy issues are hugely complicated and, and hugely consequential. Uh, you know, they power our hospitals, they, you know, the health, health system over the last year during the pandemic, and um, they power so many of the essential services that we all use uh, every day. So this is an energy story as well. Um, 
um, and to educate yourself on those things. It, it takes time. So uh, investing in, in reporters who are dedicated to working on this because they have to be able as well to recognize um, the various different interests that there are out there. And there are a lot of different interests now that are, are trying to, to put across their point of view on energy and environment issues. And not everybody is always being very truthful. You recently reported on the, the growth of data centers in Ireland in particular, which are expected to double their capacity by 2025. So how concerned do you think we need to be about the impact of data centers on energy demand and carbon emissions? Yeah, this is a really good example of an energy and an environmental story that is complex. So data centers, we've heard from Airgrid recently that they're expecting the next 10 years that our entire electricity demand across all different sectors is going to increase by 50%. What's heard less is that 50% of that 50% growth is going to come from data centers. Or another way of putting that is that Ireland's energy electricity demand is going to grow by twice as much as a result of data centers over the next 10 years. So why is that important in terms of the environment? Well, these data centers are plugged into the electricity grid, and the electricity grid is fueled by a combination of fossil fuels, and luckily for Ireland, a lot more renewables at the moment, and mostly wind. So the question becomes, as our electricity demand expands, and most of that expansion is being driven by these huge industrial users through data centers, that becomes more difficult then for us to integrate more renewables onto the grid. And Airgrid does have an ambition of, of integrating 70% renewables, so that would be wind and solar mostly onto the electricity grid by 2030. The question would be if our electricity demand is to expand by such a dramatic amount in the same time, is it making it more difficult to, to, to meet those targets? I think the answer is that it is making it more difficult, despite the fact that data, data centers are investing in renewable energy themselves. They are making it slightly easier, easier for some wind and solar projects to come online by signing contracts with them. But I'm not sure that makes up for the huge increase in demand that they are uh, that they are, they are they are making happen as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, to, to show how disproportionate this problem is in Ireland worldwide right now, data centers consume about 2% of electricity and it's set to read about reach about 8% by 2030 globally. And, you know, we're looking at 27% of all electricity consumed by data centers by 2028 here in Ireland. So that, that's just off the scale by comparison to the... It is. And, you know, it's all wrapped up in the story of the multinational sector here in Ireland as well. And it's it's one of the big success stories that so many multinational tech companies in particular have wanted to locate here. We're also located on a kind of transatlantic fiber optic cable, sub-Atlantic cable highway. So these are sub-sea cables that connect us to the UK, to Europe, and most importantly, onto the United States across the Atlantic. And huge volumes of data are transferred across these highways. So that's another large reason why these data centers are, are looking to locate here. But of course, there, there are other reasons as well, some of them probably uh, tax reasons. Uh, but also we have, you know, a, a highly skilled workforce. And, you know, we're, we're now the only English speaking language uh, country left in, in the European Union. So these are all important issues, too. You're listening to Down to Earth here on News Talk, and my guest right now for My Green Life is the Business Post's Daniel Murray. The projections of increased energy demand, Daniel, have, have been used as a reason to continue investment in oil and gas infrastructure in the country, and this is a topic you've reported on extensively. Uh, so what are the biggest issues that you see facing the country in this sector? 
So it was interesting up until about maybe a year and a half ago, um, there was a huge amount of exploration for oil and gas going on off the Irish coasts. Um, and there was a movement here, a political movement driven really by, by people before profit to try and ban oil and gas exploration. And I think it was in 2019 that Leo Varadkar <clears throat> over at a New York uh, United Nations Assembly um, stood up and announced that we would be banning all future gas exploration. And that was quickly followed up by Eamon Ryan just in the last few Few months banning oil exploration so and um, we're no longer going to have any oil and gas exploration off, off the coast of Ireland and, and some people would say that that's a good thing the industry of course would say that it's, it's not a good thing and that it affects our, our, our energy security and there there are different arguments obviously that, that have to be taken into account and with that put to bed now the, the next step really has to do with where we are going to source our fossil fuel infrastructure um, or where we are going to source our fossil fuels from because we are still going to need them we import all of our oil needs uh, we, you know, we have no domestic oil production, although that might change um, with Barry Rowe in the, in the next year or two. And, and now we import most of our gas through pipeline connections with the UK. There is a big push now to try and develop new what's called liquefied natural gas infrastructure. And this infrastructure is basically, it allows you to liquefy gas in, in faraway markets. So the United States, for example, and um, to ship it over, to regasify it, and then to pump it into our gas grid. And there are current plans or, or, or proposals for at least four or five of these around, around Ireland, although one that was due to be constructed at the port of Cork has been dropped recently. Um, the arguments, again, they're, they're, they're complex. Some people say we need these for energy security to ensure that we have the gas we need over the next 20, 30 years, even though we hope that the demand for that gas is, is going to decline. But other people would argue that this is going to lock in gas use, and the last thing we need to be doing is building new fossil fuel infrastructure at a time that we're in the middle of, of such a serious climate crisis. And of course, I think some people's concern is that gas coming from the US would be largely from fracking, which has water quality issues and social justice issues. Is that part of the concern? Undoubtedly, uh, you know, the gas that's coming from the United States would be almost uh, entirely from fracked sources. And that's because the shale gas revolution in the United States has taken over uh, and made it one of the largest exporters of fossil fuels in the world, kind of reversing its energy fortunes in the space of only about 10 or, or 15 years. So there's no doubt that it, it would come from hydraulic fracturing. And there are both more climate issues with hydraulic fracturing because there's methane escapage, um, which is a highly potent uh, greenhouse gas. Obviously, there's the burning of the gas itself, which releases carbon emissions. But then there's very local ecological uh, and environmental impacts as well, like you say, on, on water quality uh, and even on human health. You kind of hinted there earlier about the influence of, of vested interests and, and lobbying. How influential do you think lobbying by companies and sectors is in shaping environmental policy in Ireland? In Ireland, I'm not so sure. In, in Brussels, I think it's very influential. Um, uh, I spent, when I was doing public relations, I spent some time over in Brussels and the lobbying presence um, of the corporate world on the ground there is absolutely huge. Uh, and they understand in great detail how legislation and directives are, are put together and policy is, is made. And of course, that policy uh, trickles down to all of the member states here. So I think a huge amount of the heavy lifting is done over in Europe from, from a corporate point 
point of view. And certainly when it comes to, to climate and, and, and environment, uh, fossil fuel interests are very heavy on the ground there. You, you'll regularly be invited to environmental or climate debates hosted by ExxonMobil or, or, or others over there. Uh, and you'll find yourself with MEPs um, or commissioners or, or other politicians. Um, so I think Europe is the place where there's a huge focus of that lobbying. It does happen in Ireland as well. Certainly one of the first stories that I wrote for the Business Post um, was that there had been something like a six-fold increase in lobbying by the Irish Offshore Operators Association, which is the oil and gas industry here in Ireland, a representative body for them. There had been about a six-fold increase in the space of two years, and this was as a result of the Climate Emergencies Bill, um, which was Breed Smith's bill from People Before Profit uh, a couple of years ago that was looking to try and ban oil and gas exploration in Ireland, uh, and they certainly didn't want to see that happen, and, and a huge amount of lobbying was happened to was happening to try and protect their industry um, uh, you know from from being affected by this bill you've got a podcast with the business post called five degrees of change where your guests are asked to provide two personal and three policy changes they'd like to see and season three of the podcast begins on march 16th now i love this structure of the mix between personal and, and policy changes so what have been a couple of your favorite changes suggested by your guests on the show so uh, on the policy side, there's been some really great suggestions. Like we had John Sweeney, who's a climatologist, suggest removing fossil fuel subsidies. We've had Pat Cox, a former Irish politician, suggesting that we turn Ireland into a major exporter of wind energy because of our offshore wind resources. But one of my favorites was Sue Goward, and she um, was a former executive at Unilever. And she made a policy suggestion to lower the voting age to 16, which at first didn't seem uh, like your typical environmental policy suggestion but we suddenly found ourselves talking about um, what that would do in terms of shifting the voting demographic down, about what it would do to politicians in terms of them having to take into account the, the perspectives of a more distant future. Um, and it was a really interesting and kind of left field uh, environmental discussion as a result. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, on the personal changes, we've had lots of people doing renovation works on their own homes. We've had people quitting uh, or reducing their beef and dairy intake. But probably one of my favorites was was you, Cara, who we had on the program, and uh, you were telling us how you measure your carbon footprint every year. And it's those kind of personal changes that, that I love to discuss on the podcast because I get people get in contact with me then and, and really say that they were able to take something away from it and something that they were able to implement in their own lives. I didn't I didn't bribe you or force you to say that, just to be clear. But, no. uh, I, I think you and I would both agree that a lot has changed in the media coverage of environmental issues and in the environmental policy landscape here over the last five years. So do you have any predictions predictions for what you think might change over the next 10 years here in Ireland. I just think that you know climate in particular, but even the biodiversity crisis and other environmental issues are going to come more centre stage. We can already see it happening in, in politics, the Green Party now, now in government. Um, you know, these issues um, are, are, are part of everything. They're, they're, they are the big economic story of the day, the big political story of the day, um, the big business story of the day, and of course, the big environmental story of the day. And that's going to become increasingly apparent, um, not only because of the consequences of climate change as the years go on, but because there's real change happening now. And especially when we look, you know, we, we operate within a kind of a European Union framework um, and we're about to embark on the largest man-led energy transition in, in history. Um, and that is, a, that is a huge feat. It has huge consequences uh, and it's going to permeate, I think, every part of, uh, of business, political and, and economic debate in the years to come. Well, I look forward to playing this back to you in 2031 to see if you were right, Daniel. My thanks to 
Daniel Murray, reporter for the Business Post and host of Five Degrees of Change for sharing his green life with us this week on Down to Earth. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my producer, Alex Russo. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the series on podcast at Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Next week, it's planes, trains and automobiles as we investigate the future of transport. But until then, stay curious.